Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rooting Around podcast, a podcast where we talk about countries around the world. I'm Kevin. I'm Tom. And I'm Ed. And this week, we are going to Côte d'Ivoire. Is that good enough for you, Ed? Yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Could be better, obviously, but yeah, that's pretty good. Côte d'Ivoire. I was very impressed by your Côte d'Ivoire. Thanks, man. It was a 10 out of 10. <laughs> anyway. Anyone been? No, never. It's not. It's it's maybe maybe it's it's their tourism board's fault. Oh, the history of internal strife. Um, but it just doesn't—it just doesn't get the advertising press that you think it should. No, no. Honestly, the the first time I properly heard of it was when I found out Didier Drogba was was from there. Yeah, he's probably the most famous. I think he is the person. the most famous. Is, y- got, is it Yaya Torre as well? Oh yeah, the two race. I've got a Drogba fact straight off the bat. We yeah, we dive in straight into Drogba. <laughs> So he is credited with playing a pivotal role in helping to end the Ivorian Civil War by making an impassioned speech to camera during an international match against Sudan in 2005, which resulted in a ceasefire. Following the World Cup qualifier, Drogba addressed the camera crew and pleaded with aggressors in Ivory Coast to please lay down your weapons and hold elections. We want to have fun. Stop firing your guns. He didn't mean to for it to rhyme. That's just what he does. Also, he's probably speaking in French, but that's not the point. The point <laughs> is, it's a beautiful, impassioned plea. Um, what a boss. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, how many how many other sports people have ended conflicts? I mean, I'm guessing your, your deaf-blind Estonian mate has done quite a lot for world peace, but... <laughs> uh, yeah. Drogba has allowed Ivory Coast to stay the way it is and not get split in different countries and stuff, meaning it's a whole 322,000 square kilometres big. Was that a seg? That oh, mate, that was, that was atrocious. Uh, how many Luxembourgs is that? That is 124 Luxembourgs and 15 Waleses for a population of 27.5 million, which is 46 Luxembourgs and 9 Waleses. Okay. It's okay. a lot of Luxembourgs. Yeah, not that many ways it is. Heaps, mate. And I... uh, major language, it's French. Yeah. Do they, uh, Tom, I was I, I was expecting you were going to look into the languages. No, no? I forgot. <laughs> um, I've read that Abidjan, the unofficial capital, is it's got a population of like four and a half million or something like that. Um, and it is the third largest French speaking city in the world. Huh. Oh, and, wow. Obviously, one of the other, in the top three, we've got Abidjan, Paris. Can anyone guess what the last one is? Is it not one in France? In, in Canada, I'm guessing. It's a good show. You've got, you got to fire out some answers. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Ontario? Mont- Montreal. Ontario's in the east, isn't it? No? It's also the province, no. isn't it? Yeah. How is it? Montreal. It's not Montreal. Is it in Canada? It's not in Canada. French. Oh, Brussels. Uh, it's not quite French speaking. No, it's not Brussels. Is it another you, African you... country? Yeah, you're getting warm. I'll give you one more guess each because this segue is going on. This segment's going on a little bit too long. French. Um, oh, uh, uh, I don't know. Like. Is it Congo? Oh, hello. Brazzaville. It's not Brazzaville. 
Egypt. What's the other Congolese city? <laughs> I don't know. No, you lost me. I'm, oh, I'm so, so Brazzaville is the capital of the Republic of Congo. And uh, what's the capital of the DRC? I don't know, but it's the closest. They're the two closest yeah, yeah, yeah. in the world. But yeah, I don't you, know. you can take like a 20-minute flight between them. Yeah, it's Kinshasa. Kinshasa. They're, they're on the other side of a river, I think. That's why it's so close. And they but they haven't built a bridge between them. So around it, the like neighboring countries, it's, I, I got the list here. It's Mali, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Liberia, and Guinea. It's the area of Africa where Tom once said it's all like, it's really hard to figure out which country's which. Yeah. There's such a high density. How, how many Luxembourgs in that one batch? Uh, a few too many but i mean we we spoke about french language and stuff like that the reason obviously they speak french there is because the coast was a colony in the late 19th century up until 1960 i think you're looking at i'm definitely looking at you here <laughs> right well i've got do you want the whole history uh looks give us it doesn't have to be the whole thing it can be brief well you've got I'll a brief you... history I'll give you brief-ish. So, um, Ivory Coast, obviously a West African state border in Ghana. Well, you can't just say where they're from. Um, the first written records about the Ivory Coast were by North African traders who visited the Southern Saharan states in search of gold. Powerful Sudanese empires dominated the history of the Ivory Coast. And it was from these empires that Islam spread to the northern edges of the Ivory Coast, to the Eula and Dula people in the north. And then they established a Kong kingdom which is not where King Kong comes from. Um, and then the Akan people also established the Abron kingdom that later dominated the Kong Empire. Um, the first Europeans to visit the area were the Portuguese. Uh, and they, as it's they did, them. it's always them, always first, always least memorable. Um, but in 1842, the French declared the area their protectorate and then it was under colonial rule. All the way up until 1905, when it became part of French West Africa, so it had even more colonial rule. And then up until 1960, when it gained independence from France. It was pretty stable in that period between 1960, and then it all kicked off majorly in 1999, which was the first military coup. And the consequences of the coup were basically economic breakdown um, and country being split effectively into two halves, north and south, one one sort of majority Muslim and one majority Christian. And it's sort of slowly getting better now. So it's trying to be, be more sort of promote like greater equality between men and women and sort of fighting all forms of discrimination. But it's a process and moving uh, forward. It's getting there slowly. One yeah. impassioned Didier Drogba speech at a time. <laughs> But the reason it was so stable for like 30 years or 40 years is because it was a dictatorship. Yeah. So it's stable, but... Well, I was listening to, I was listening to a podcast earlier today with my favourite philosopher, Slavoj Zizek, and they're making the point that like dictatorships are pretty bad, but what's worse? Like what's, what's, like what's, what's the bigger problem? Like look, look at Iraq, look at Libya, like... Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi were ostensibly terrible people, but what came afterwards was Even arguably worse, worse yeah. on a humanitarian level. Yeah. That's the last of it like that's that. the last intellectual thought this podcast will have, I promise. That will bring me quickly to an interesting story who became the king 
of Ivory Coast temporarily. He is also known as the King of Pop, Mr. Michael Jackson. What? What is this guy? In 1992, Michael Jackson was crowned King of the Ivory Coast in a region. Sorry, do you mind me asking what, um, at what pigmentation stage was 1992? Let's, let's have a look. I'm going to say he was, it's pre-Earth Song, but it's not long before Earth Song. Um, he's, he's probably like a really milky latte. So that was the year of his Dangerous World Tour, which is one of his most famous ones. That was a classic. I was, I remember uh, I was alive, I was alive for it, as, as you were. Yeah, yeah, he's very, very light. He's he's kind of you know if you think of a, an image of Michael Jackson, this is what comes up. Well, that's not very descriptive. I'd just recommend googling it because I can't I can't show you. We don't we shouldn't have to describe what Michael Jackson looks like. To you. Yeah, no, exactly. He, he, he looks like that. Changed over the years. White Michael Jackson then. Yeah, he's he was white Michael Jackson in that one. Anyway. So there were DNA tests and mystic messages throughout their history that confirmed his royal lineage. He had a coronation that involved traditional Angie drumming and wearing a toga-style cloth, and he became the spiritual son of King Nana Amon Ndufu IV. And three years later, Jackson invited Ndufu to his home in LA, and then the Sanri Kingdom held a two-day funeral for Jackson after his wow. death in 2009. Wow! Wow! I wonder if that doc, if the documentary's been shown there. Oh God! Michael Jackson, the King of Pop, and the King of the Sandwich Kingdom. I like that though. I like so presumably his ancestors were from that part of Africa, brought brought across from that part of Africa, and they've somehow the guessed. lineage goes down to it's, to Mickey it's just, it's just uh, I don't, want to, I don't want to be a cynic. Um, <laughs> Very convenient. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit too convenient. Hey, um, if, if if a region in Somalia messaged you one day and was like, hey, we think you're going to be king. We've, we've looked down through your lineage and we've done a 23andMe. And it looks like yeah. you're King Thomas of... Ndufu. Ndufu, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd graciously accept because it'd be rude otherwise. Exactly. But I think we'd all know that I'd be living a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Jackson famously had a pet. He did. Can either of you remember yeah. A, what his name was, and yes. B, what he actually was? Yes. I it to be Thomas. Well, I only remember this because of that classic schoolyard joke. What's what's Michael Jackson's next song? Or what's Michael Jackson's favourite song? I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, it's Bubbles the Chimp. Yeah. So Michael Jackson had a pet chimpanzee you know this? Yeah. called Bubbles. And he very likely could have got it from the Ivory Coast. No. Is that just No, there's, there's a really important population of chimps in in the Ivory Coast. And they are... They're the ones that are known for using tools. Mm. So they're like fashion sticks and rocks into, you know, hammers and, and uh, you know, spanners and stuff. 
Spanners. Spanners. Yes. <laughs> when, when Chimps like, oh, chuck us that thirteen mil. Yeah. So yeah, can chimps, chimps use spanners? Could you tell I'm, the, I'm sure if you gave a chimp a spanner and uh, and a bolt to tighten, it would probably do it. Well, very, very plug? clever. Did you say something, Ed? Yeah. No, I was going to ask what about a raw plug. I'm trying to see what type of... Because my next question is, if you had a chimp, what jobs would you get it to do around the house? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Have you seen what their bums look like as they get older? I just can't imagine having that around my living room. No, no, it's not a pet. Is that, well, think of it more like a handyman. He's doing, uh, is it wearing a, wearing a suit? <laughs> yeah, no, no, like a handyman well, could, outfit with a. Yeah, you could, could be wearing a boiler suit, or you might have a little one of those like builders belts, like a hod, uh, and that, that oh, covers that his good, bum. A little yellow helmet. So he's just he's just pop around. You've got a job. You've you've stuck online. He's answered the ad. What's that job? Something where you know some someone with the dexterity of a chimp has, which I don't have. Like, oh, tighten tighten the bolts under my sink to tighten the taps. There you go. Very difficult. Anyway, chimpanzees. There's lots of other important animals there as well. That's where pygmy hippos are found. How small is a pygmy hippo? I would say the size of a small cow, like maybe smaller. They're, they're... Like, like a baby cow or just a normal cow but small? Because well, they could, they could be the same thing. They could like... be the same size, Ed. They could be. A small cow and a baby cow could be the same. I'll, I'll check the stats. A small cow that is the size of a baby cow is an extra small cow, not just a small cow. Maybe a large pig? That would be a minuscule cow. Have you yeah, seen how big, big pigs get? Have you ever seen a pig, Ed? Yeah, but... Aside, aside from when it's not fucking sloshed over with beans... <laughs> no, but how small like a big pig can get quite big but like okay so tiny to be that size so its length is 4.9 to 5.7 feet so that's nearly 10 subways oh it's not no, no. it's no. 4.9 subways 5.7 so 6 so it's 6 oh. foot uh, so 1.5 to 1.75 meters their height is 30 to 39 inches Oh, God, what's that in regular numbers? 100 centimetres, so a metre. Right. Okay. And then uh, they weigh between 160 and 270 kilos. And, yeah. That's so they're, so like, they're like small. a big desk. A desk. Yeah, so yeah. about the size of a desk. They've got them in Bristol Zoo. Little, little tiny things. They're very cute. Very well, cute. Well, no, no wonder I missed it when I was last there. <laughs> There's not many of them left either. There's... Um, yeah, less than 3,000 of them left. In the wild or in the wild? In the wild. I'm not sure how many are in captivity. But... Does the pygmy hippopotamus contribute anything towards the ivory trade? Does it have tusks? No. Well, I I don't think it would be classified as ivory. Just his teeth. Why yeah. is the ivory coast called the ivory coast? Well, exactly. Cote d'Ivoire. It was a giant ivory trade, wasn't it? For it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was the, the cent- 17th century. From from the 15th century. It's pretty she. much the centre of the global ivory trade. And also they don't like you calling it the Ivory Coast anymore. You're meant to call it Cote d'Ivoire. Oh, okay. They get really pissy about it, which I sort of get. I don't know that. And what, what, what are they called? Like, would be called British or Brits? I think in we, Ivorians. Ivorians. Yeah. In French, it's Ivoirien. 
So I suppose. And I, I believe the football team's nickname is the Elephants. Yeah, it is. Oh. Well, also in the national symbols on the coat of arms, it's a, an elephant's head with two golden palm trees either side of it, representing the country's name and the importance of elephants. Okay. They didn't yeah. go very far for that. Yeah, they didn't, um, didn't really. I do well, like the crest in uh, the national team because it's the outline of the country. That's the crest. And usually people don't have that as a crest. And I think it's really cool. That is cool. Quite like and then obviously all the symbols are inside and I'm pretty sure it's green. So, yeah. They've got one of those um, Mexico Irish flags as well that I always get confused about. They got exactly the same as the Irish flag. Vertical tricolor, orange, white, and green, left or right. Ah, so it's the other way around. I think so. And then what's Italy as well? (laughs) That's red. India. Oh god, it's so confusing. That's the other way around. Um, Horizontal. So the yeah. The orange represents the northern savannah, the white symbolises peace and unity, and the green represents the coastal forest and hope for the future. Love Sorry, it. colours. Well, yeah. actually, I've got a bit more about that. I've got the national, the, the three stripes represent the national motto, unity, discipline and labour, with orange representing dynamic national growth. I don't know how you distill that into a colour, but apparently it's orange. Um, <laughs> white peace and purity and unity makes sense and green hope for the future yeah everyone's positive about the future I like it I think you sort of have to be if you've just come out of 15 16 years of rampant civil war yeah that was the flag introduced after the civil war that is an excellent question that I can't answer and I won't (laughs) (laughs) it's better that way to be fair if you can't answer it still do probably at this point in the show it'd be nice to um talk about this week's sponsor oh um this episode is brought to you uh in association with nerpa travel uh, and to an extent it's, it's funny because you're so close to your microphone you sound like a pilot <laughs> oh do i and oh, this sorry. flight is brought to you by nerpa travel so, as you know, uh, this ep- every episode is brought to you in association with Nerpa Travel, but this one specifically because we're pushing one adventure or pushing things. So, we've been working with a company called Lost to uh, make the world's first electric motorbike adventure event. Uh, it's happening in April in Vietnam. You need, if you want to learn more, go to www.lost. Lost, no, it's lost. just lost.travel. Lost.travel. And then click on Vietnam. It's uh, seven days in Vietnam. Get your own electric motorbike. There's accommodation at the start and finish and in the middle and parties and snake snake organ vodka, local food. Egg good coffee. Times. Egg coffee. And also, it's for any listeners who are really interested, both myself and Kevin will be there. So you can almost think of it like the entrance fee is is both you could well you can think about the entrance fee in two ways either you're paying for an amazing event and you get to meet me and kev or you're paying to meet me and kev and you also get an amazing electric motorcycle adventure i like the second one every way you look at it it's a win (laughs) it's much nicer than like a a mall meet and greet yeah we'll we'll do one of those in in ho chi minh as well Oh, that would be amazing. Just for, just for, for our Vietnamese fans. Um, so, yeah, 
check out Lost.Travel at the Vietnam event. It's It's got smackings of NERPA all over it. Use um, the code NERPA69420. Yeah. To get. Just and, and kudos. Drink. Yeah, we yeah. haven't got any discount codes. Um, I five do, when you get there. You'll be doing us a favor. You'll be doing the world a favor by, by proving that uh, electric adventure travel is viable. Um, and you get a good of it. You probably get some sweet Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's Ho Chi Minh Trail, it's coast, it's mountains, it, yeah. It caves, waterfalls. Yeah, it, ju- it just looks bonkers. It, it looks so nice. I'm really excited to get to Vietnam. One thing that I didn't realise Cote d'Ivoire is a massive producer of is coca beans. Yeah. Oh, aren't they the <clears throat> largest? They, they are, yeah. They produce over 2 million tonnes. Uh, it's 40% of its exp- export revenue. Um, I want some chocolate now. Oh, that's an interesting fact. So the World Coca Foundation, or WCF, estimates that out of a population of over 27.5 million, 8 million Ivorians depend on coca production and the cocoa industry for their livelihood. So it's one in four and a half people. That's involved. crazy because so many... Half, half a person. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Just being silly. Just being silly. Is there anything ghoulish or monstrous in the Ivory Coast outside so, of large scary I'm, animals? I'm so glad you asked me that because there is. Um, <laughs> and so this, I did a little bit of research. This one is actually a pretty good one. It's called the Apologies to all the Ivorians listening to this. The Agogwe. So the Agogwe is a little downy. D-O-W-N-Y before you make that joke. What is it? I'm literally describing what it is. <laughs> yeah, if, but... if you could, if you could, li- if you could hold off for four more words, <laughs> all will be revealed. Okay, I'll be patient. <clears throat> so the agogwe is a little downy, woolly-haired, unknown biped, reported throughout East Africa, said to have yellowish, reddish skin underneath its rust-coloured hair. The agogwe allegedly inhabits the forests of this remote region. I still don't really know what this is. A biped. What's a biped? Upright, two-legged. Oh, okay. And downy is like, you know, like young birds, like really light, fluffy feathers. So it's like down. Very, very different answers here. One I I knew, the other one I suppose is right in this context. I knew, I know what downy means in that context, about soft, like... Like like the like, like the a down jacket, yeah, yeah. The, the belly of a kitten, the un- underside of a goose, that's downy, but it, it's also on the side of a goose. I have to say, it's also an extra chromosome. Yeah, I knew that. Um, anyway, one of the most discussed sightings occurred in 1900 when Captain William Hitchens was sent on an official lion hunt to this region. Whilst there, waiting in a forest clearing for a man-eating lion, he saw, as written in 1937, two small brown furry creatures coming from the dense forest on one side of the glade and disappear into the thickets on the other. They were like that of little men, about four feet high, 
which is four subways tall, walking upright but clad in russet hair like the potato. Um, the native russet hunter, coloured is russet a colour? I think russet's like the colour of a dirty potato. Right. Uh, the native hunter said they were agogwe, little furry men. Hitchens made effort to find them, but without success in the impenetrable forest. I've got a little bit more, if, you, if you'll indulge me. Of course. In, in support of Hitchens' story, this man has the greatest name in the world, Cuthbert Burgoyne <laughs> wrote a letter to the London magazine Discovery in 1938, noting that he and his wife had seen something similar while coasting Portuguese East Africa in a Japanese cargo boat in 1927. Could that be a more... That's like peak Agatha Christie, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Close enough to see things on the beach using, quote, a glass of 12 magnifications, end quote. (laughs) They spied a troop of feeding baboons, apparently picking up shellfish or crabs. As they watched, two little brown men walked together out of the bush and down amongst the baboons. They were certainly not any known monkey and yet must have been akin or they would have, or they would have disturbed the baboons. They were too far away to see in detail, but these small human-like animals were probably between four and five feet tall, quite upright and graceful in figure. At the time, I was thrilled as they were quite evidently no beast of which I had heard or read. Later, a friend of Big Game Hunter told me that he was in Portuguese East Africa with his wife and three hunters, and they saw a mother, a father, and a child apparently of a similar species walk across the further side of a bush clearing. The natives loudly forbade him to shoot. Who? To shoot? At the uh, Agogwe. It's weird how it's always just like they just walk past in a clearing and it's like, ah! Oh, we saw him for about half a second. It's like seeing the alien in signs. Do you remember that moment when you have you seen that's one of the, That's one of I saw that in the cinema when I was when I was a wee lad, and it's probably the first and only time I've ever been scared by a jump scare when you yeah. first see him walk out between that those buildings. That changed the game for for scares for me. I remember it being like really talked about as well. That one shot scared the shit out of me. It was terrifying. And Ed, you've obviously missed all of this because. I doubt it's even been allowed to be released in Luxembourg. Um, <laughs> Why? I don't know. In case the moon men see it. They have films terrible. Mel Gibson at his finest, mate. <laughs> his best work was when he was... Oh, no, it wasn't. I was thinking about David Hasselhoff. I, was oh, like, you know, worlds John... apart. I think his best piece of work was that Santa Claus one. Yeah. No, I was thinking, like, Mel Gibson famously gets, gets drunk and... and uh, you know, comes out with some vague anti-Semitisms. Um, yep. And I confused him with that video of David Hasselhoff <laughs> trying to eat a cheeseburger when he's really pissed. Yeah, lying on head. the floor. No. If, if, if you get nothing else from this podcast, just watch it. Hasselhoff cheeseburger. It's brilliant. That's it's it's more like, that. it's like an intervention by his daughter. And he's like, he's just, he's just smashed. Trying to pick up bits of lettuce off the floor and shove it into his mouth. Talking about shoving stuff in your mouth. Go on. Are we not going to appreciate the segue here? No, no, I I, I appreciate it. Good. Um, My favourite is when when we all point out the segue. That's that's my favourite bit. (laughs) (laughs) Got to make sure. Yeah, it's appreciated. Um, What do you think the main component of the most popular dishes? Fish, ivory, 
coast. They had. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not fish, but it's something we've talked about in pretty much every episode in some form. Porridge. Fufu. Nice. Which is kind of porridge, I guess, depending on how you do it, because it's like this starchy side dish. What's it made get... out of, again? So fufu is boiled cassava, plantains, and cocoa yam, Makes all mixed together, creating this weird, like, blob. Of... Yeah, yeah, I'm not overly fussed about trying the food over there, if you're <laughs> just a blob. <laughs> I mean, if you ever see a picture of, like, prepared fufu, it's 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 like a big, big sausage, a very wide sausage, not very long sausage, and it's just, like, white, yellowish. Uh, but you, they you, they have it. Are in, you describing uh, a ball? A long ball. Jesus Christ! But their main thing is fufu and light soup, or fufu and egusi soup, uh, which is fufu, and then a flavorful soup made with ground melon seeds, which is egusi, and other spices. And sometimes they add grilled chicken or fish as a protein. So that's the main that. meal. Does the food suck up any of the soup? I think it's a bit like mashed potatoes. Like it comes in a bowl, but then you can kind of like, yeah, take it apart. Like mashed potatoes. Lolt. Now the blob sounds good. <laughs> yeah, but I've never had fufu, so I don't actually know. But they have it in West Africa. We should, we should get together and do a food episode actually make Ooh, some of these foods yeah, yeah. or invite you can, definitely, you can get fufu here always in like 50 kilo bags but you can get fufu here <laughs> what what should we go for we should maybe just pick like two dishes each i want to try to turn up with them you want to try fufu yeah because we've talked about it so much yeah. i wouldn't mind trying the but i wouldn't do it here to be fair but the peruvian hamster you had or what was it oh guinea pig Koi. a guinea pig oh tom's got a new uh New memory of Peru, some animal form on your leg. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got I got some sweet new ink. Shout out to John Biggs. Don't think he listens, but um, shout out anyway. Yeah, he drew me a llama years ago. Oh, a llama uh, dressed as Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Abe, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Um, I almost said like Abe Lincoln. Lincoln. Um, looking at an old timey mirror. So yeah, it's very hipstery. That's it. It's a very nice tattoo. Ate one of those as well. Llamas. Oh, yeah, that was delicious. Yeah. Was he also dressed as Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, it had a little hat on, actually, when it came out. And a little little beard came around the bottom. What about Balut? <gasps> I wonder if no. you can get that here. Or maybe you can just do it at home, partially boil it. Go find a crow's nest. Just get a couple of crow, crow. eggs. <laughs> Pack full of protein. Crow. Yeah. It's the most... Anabolic of all of the birds. Yep. That's why they call them anabolic crows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't mind. I know we haven't done Sweden yet, but I'd love to try. Is it called Sirströming? Yeah, Sirströming? yeah. The pig. Yeah. Pardon? I genuinely thought you were going to say IKEA meatballs. Oh, I like IKEA well. meatballs. They're good. Yeah. I haven't got, I haven't got an issue with that. Yeah, but like making them for an episode would be a bit, a bit of a cop out. Yeah, 
I've I've got a, a bunch of tradition stuff that I can run through. I'll just quickly say this one thing. It's a, one yeah, sentence. Yeah. It shouldn't take up too much of your time. <laughs> the Basilica, <laughs> Basilica of Our Lady of Peace of Yamasukro is one of the largest Christian churches in the world, even bigger this, than St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican in terms of size. What? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty massive. How many Luxembourgs is there? Tough crowd. I don't know, but it can. I, I can't do math. Um, it can hold eighteen thousand worshippers. Ooh, so it's a mega church. Yeah. Does it have a good speakers? Because otherwise, you can't hear anything. I would. I you would hope so. Or they've. Or they've. You know, they've designed really good acoustics. Um, <laughs> I saw. I'm not. That's a bit irrelevant. But staying on churches, that I know very little about Christianity in general. To be honest, as a white. Western European. Um, That's racist, but... No, as in, like, you'd expect me to know more than I do, is by, by looking at me. Um, but churches used to be painted on the outside. What? So I saw, like, for example, uh, Wells Cathedral, there was, like, I'm not 100% sure if it's real or not, but there was a, a painting of the church from way back um, where they it was drawn uh, with like colours on the facade. Really? Like really vibrant blues and reds and stuff like that. And it kind of makes sense because obviously there's so many like statues and like it's intricate so it kind of makes sense but I didn't realise it would be. Anyway. But why do they stop painting them? And why does it seem that every church in the world has stopped painting them? Well they don't stop painting them but it's just like wash off after a while and there's no like new churches in a way like there's new churches but they're a completely different architectural style aren't they so yeah i've not seen a new old building yeah that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> but i've seen plenty of old buildings that have been repainted that's true that's very true now maybe i'm just i was just fooled i, I, by I hope it's true I, I really hope it's true I'm going to believe you on this. And if it's not true, so help you God. I've got a very brief sport fact. Cote d'Ivoire has only won two Olympic gold medals. One silver, one gold. Can you guess what they're in? I knew this was coming. Um, no idea. I'm Incorrect. Athletics. Oh, yeah. One's in athletics. Running? Yes. Like sprinting? Mm -hmm. yeah. Long distance? No. Oh, the, the thing where you jump over the hurdles? No, it's not hurdles. It's it's sort of sprinting. I guess it's like on the very edge of what you'd call sprinting. Relay or whatever it's called. No, distance-wise. Eight, like. eight, 800 metres. <laughs> oh, oh, I said, I was, I was 400 metres. I don't know. 800, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could sprint so, 800 metres. Fine. I could. I definitely couldn't sprint 800 meters. Um, so yeah. they won silver in the men's 400 in 1984, which is a classic Olympics. Uh, and then they won gold in 2016 in what sport? 2016. Yeah. Bobsley. That was a summer Olympics, Edward. <laughs> Javelin. Oh, it's a good choice, but it's not. Disc. 
this is I'll, I'll give it to you. It's a combat sport. Taekwondo. Oh, one and done. Kevin Murphy. Wow. That's the only yeah, martial go. art I can think of. <laughs> but it's yeah, hooray. Yeah, so they won a gold medal in Taekwondo. That seems so random. I would never... I'm surprised they didn't win um, any dancing performances because there's a lot of dancing in that country. A lot of different styles. Nice. Segway. Tell tell me more. So, we've got... Up first, we've got stilt dancers. It's a traditional form of performance where skilled dancers balance and move on stilts to create captivating displays of agility and grace. And they're quite often adorned with like bells and ribbons and, can I, and that. Can I ask a question? Talk to me. Is it a is it two stilts or four stilts? I think it's Ooh. two. Four. That's yeah. Have you not seen when people are like like a giraffe walking with like they got they got like arm stilts as well? No, but that sounds interesting. Stilts continued. There's a Dan tribe that do, it's called spinning dances, but they include stilts as well. And it goes back for years and years and years. But my favorite kind of (laughs) tradition performance is uh, the Yakuba girl juggling. So Yakuba girls in Cote d'Ivoire are known for their exceptional juggling skills, showcasing their talent um, and dexterity through mesmerizing performances. And it's basically guys just spinning women around and flipping them. It's mental. I thought I thought it was girls juggling, but it's juggling girls. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I thought it was girls who juggle. No, no, it's girls <laughs> getting juggled. Being juggled. Yeah. How many girls do you reckon you could juggle? <sighs> I mean, like physically, romantically, up to you. How you are. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, how do the... you juggle? Is it just one woman they juggle then? Yeah. Is that called juggling or just throwing in the air and then catching again? I don't know. I've seen those. Have like, a look at a video. Have a, it's it's contact, insane. Maybe it's like contact juggling. <laughs> <laughs> like David Bowie. David Bowie could juggle contact juggle loads of women. Surprising didn't write a song about it. I juggle three women in space. You're walking a fine line between Bowie and Walken. <laughs> I really wish I could do a Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> Regular listeners to the show will have been holding on with bated breath for my favourite and your favourite segment of the show. But I've got some bad news. It's not happening today. Mm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do the Cote d'Ivoire such a disservice as to spend a cursory amount of time looking through reviews of hotels and then make jokes about the worst one because they've had a civil war recently and I'm not about that. I'm about lifting up countries. Um, Much like the Alpha Guest House is actually lifting itself up. They're adding adding a floor, adding a new sub-basement. So the basement's now ground um, and, (laughs) and, and so on. It's going to be Bristol's uh, third dampest new basement. Um, <laughs> they they are thinking about potentially having a flickering light in there. 
it's more of a, like a chill out slash cold sauna room. Um, <laughs> cold sauna. That's really in fashion nowadays. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's sort of it's sort of where you go to encourage a cold. Um, yeah, which again <laughs> so, is in fashion. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's my Alpha Guest House update. There isn't one for Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and I, I have something going. that. I can read though. I've gone on yeah. to TripAdvisor UK and I can just reel off one of the Alpha Guest House reviews. Yeah, give us your worst. Give us the all best. Of the actual this, this Alpha is Guest House in Bristol. The actual Alpha Guest House. This one's a little long. However, this was one of the ones that introduced me to the Alpha Guest House. Oh, so it's old as well. It's one of the yeah. OG ones. 2012. <laughs> just, just before you start, as a caveat, we can assure the listener that conditions have not improved since well they, they actually got worse because there was a fire since then uh, yeah and like a phoenix from the flame it's returning to subpar <laughs> <laughs> okay so the date of stay is april 2012 the trip type is travels with family and the room tip go to any other hotel in the country and choose one there so the headline for this is "Given My Daughter Nightmares." Hmm. That does that does imply that she slept. No, it doesn't. No. Oh, with the nightmares. She remembers it. Mm, yeah. All right. So I had the dire misfortune of staying here on a Thursday night with my nine-year-old daughter. We had intended to stay at the Holiday it's quiz Inn, night, but... isn't it? <laughs> 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 We'd intended to stay at the Holiday Inn, but unfortunately I'd forgotten to take ID, so we were left stranded in Bristol very late at night. We passed the Alpha and thought our luck was in as the lights were on and they had vacancies. <laughs> Alarm bells were ringing when I saw the disgusting state of the entrance hall, but I was so exhausted and that desperate to get my daughter to bed, I handed over my cash and found our room. The room was vile, old, broken furniture, washing up in the hand basin, thin curtains, uncomfortable beds, thin covers, kettle on the floor as the plug didn't, <laughs> plug didn't reach, broken lighters in the bowl with tea bags, filthy old carpet, used plastic cutlery in the drawers. Need I go on? I realised that I'd left my phone in the car and when I attempted to go and get it, I found out the front doors were secured with a combination padlock with no sign of how to raise the staff, so we were locked in. I dread to think what would have happened in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> on returning to our two extremely on returning to our room, two extremely disturbing things happened. First, there was no with no exaggeration whatsoever, a blood curdling scream from another room. I tried to settle my daughter by saying that we have we must have misheard and it was something else, but she insisted that I check the corridors and it took me a good ten minutes to muster up the courage to do so. On returning to our room I noticed an empty prescription bottle, and taking a closer look I realized it was a methadone bottle that had been doctored to make some kind of pipe. At this stage, I was seriously considering sleeping in the car. I honestly felt like there was only a hair's breadth of, uh, in the decision or where we would be safer. Remember when we were trapped inside the building, I let my daughter sleep, although it took her some hours to settle, and I stayed awake to watch her until it was light, and we slept in our clothes in case of intrusion or a chance of getting out. And just to round off. In the morning, we avoided the foul bathroom. I felt I'd rather we went dirty than I subject my child to the vile shared shower. My key deposit was returned with no trouble, but no one asked about our stay, and I don't think I 
would have hung around a second longer than necessary to tell them if they had. The one and only positive I'll give them is that the staff we did meet there were polite to my daughter. And you can't put a price on that. No. <laughs> well, well, you can, can £30 a night. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just poetry, isn't it? It's, there's, it's there's exactly two, what you there's, want to see. There's two peaks in that story, and it's the blood-curdling scream and the pipe. For sure, they're they're the two highlight highlight moments. But what if they went on a Wednesday? She could have had some from the methadone pipe. <laughs> Probably. She might have known the person that got killed in the next room to her. She might have met her. She might have been able to stop something. Well, now we know. Alpha Guest House is a Wednesday <laughs> night job. <laughs> so I, th- I guess we can just do that because we've got another 25 terrible one-star reviews about the Alpha Guest House. So just in case in future. Is that just from the calendar year 2012? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty impressive though. Yeah, that oh. was one star all around there. So yeah, we've got 22 terrible reviews. I'd like to read one of the excellent ones, actually. They're all ironic. You know no, no, no text found. Right. Yeah, that's that's the owner. All right. Well, I think that's, On that note. Yeah. That's the Ivory Coast. We're uh, hopping across to the other side of the continent next week. Oh yeah. Yeah. Most of us, because. I don't think Kev researched the right country. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And then I did at the end. Uh, yeah. Next week, we're going to Somalia and Kev's going to Somalia and Sudan. Clearly. Yeah. And as, as always, like, subscribe, five stars, share it with your friends and family and your co-workers. Should make their day. Yeah. Yeah. Today, actually, I was given the speaker for the office. And if that happens to you, just put it on the Rooting Around podcast for everyone to listen to. Imagine yeah. someone put that on in your office. You just be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, on that note, thanks. See you next week. See you next week, yeah. Bye.